Welcome, everyone, to Trudging It, a podcast sharing experience, strength, and hope on the journey to and in recovery. Today is the second part of our second episode in our Women's Welcome Packet series called Getting Started. And we're going to be focusing on lust, what I'm really addicted to, and all that's going on underneath that lust. And how do I actually get sober and get into recovery? And so with that, let us begin. Okay, so we looked at our acting out behaviors and how shame can play a part in the wide range of behaviors, but also how shame uh, plays an important role in the challenge of even coming into essay. So let's now shift and start looking at lust and what's going on on the inside of us with this addiction. Let's let's look at that word lust. The white book tells us that lust is a demanding attitude. Okay, so it's demanding. It's not very um, relational, if you will. And it demands that a natural function serve an unnatural end. And there's a reason why uh, the white book compares it to food. And I think it helps us start to grasp and to understand this dynamic a little bit more by comparing it to food. So we all need food. We were made uh, to consume food and food does something for us, right? So however, even, even though we need food and we eat food and we can enjoy food, um, we can start demanding that because food is very comforting, food is very pleasurable. It can also have numbing uh, capabilities that we begin to abuse food in order uh, to serve another purpose, which is to make us feel better or to not feel or to manipulate it. That's what lust does. So uh, sexual intimacy is a natural part of the human experience but it's being abused. Well, let's look at what is the natural uh, function for this part uh, of my life. Well, so the first thing that I can experience is just seeing somebody as I go about my day and seeing that I'm attracted to that person. So something inside me recognizes some aspect about that person that I find attractive. It could be their personality, it could be their physical appearance, but it's something that makes me consider them as someone that I would um, look to either uh, romantically or sexually. And so the attraction is set and there's varying reasons for attraction. And so I can have a thought with that attraction. I, I recognize I'm attracted to that person. And the natural function with that would be to move on to the next thing. And so similarity, if I see someone eating one of my favorite desserts and I, I see that, and I think to myself, gee, you know, I would really like to have the dessert like that as well. And then I continue to move about my day. That's what uh, maybe a, a normal person would do or a natural way to, maybe that's what a natural way to handle that situation would be. Another uh, situation that, that's very uh, healthy and, and natural is that I am in a context of a situation. Let's say I'm in a board meeting or let's say I'm with family. Let's say I'm, I'm at a gathering of friends. It doesn't matter where I am, but let's say I'm in a context of a situation and I'm conversing with people and all of a sudden I find that I'm attracted to a particular person. 
or maybe I'm not attracted to that a person, but there's something in the natural, normal conversation and daily interactions that I take that interaction, that normal communication, and I inflate it in my mind and interpret it to mean something more romantic or sexualize it, and I start to believe and tell another story what's really going on, that that person may be uh, in love with me, that person I think might ask me out, or that person may want to have an affair with me, whatever, whatever is not really happening, my head is starting to play that it's happening. Whereas in a healthy person or somebody that doesn't have that problem, they're in a context of a situation and they're, they may see somebody that they're attracted to and they're conversing or interacting with that person or, or maybe they're just around that person and their interpretation of the events is exactly what they're seeing. They're taking the facts and they're interpreting the situation based only on the facts. They also may be aware that they might be attracted to that person, but they don't start interpreting another story in their mind just because they're attracted to that person. That's not what would happen naturally or normally, if you will. But for myself as a sexaholic, if I'm attracted to somebody, or even if I'm not attracted to somebody, but if I am attracted to somebody, for me, it would be um, a bigger temptation for me to do that. I'm in a normal situation or a typical context of life, but I start interpreting those interactions and inflating it to mean that this person is head over heels in love with me. This person wants to have an affair with me. This person wants to get me alone, whatever that is. And my mind will keep playing that over and over. And I am now taken out of reality. I, I may be maintaining my, my conversations and interacting with people within the context of the situation, but internally, I am playing an entirely different scenario in my mind. And the very important thing here with all this is that I'm getting high. And I could be doing that with sexual uh, interpretation as well. Not only can I start thinking that someone desires me sexually, but then I can start imagining how that would play out. Regardless of how I start doing that, I'm getting very high. The other way in which um, I would get high is, for example, if I, let's go back to the situation where I see someone I'm attracted to, and I acknowledge that I'm attracted to that person. And it might be nice to know that person um, or to be to know that person in that way. I just know that I'm attracted to that person. And instead of moving on, that demanding attitude, that lustful attitude demands that I hold that idea in my mind and I start playing around with scenarios. I start imagining scenes in my head and I start playing this out and I start getting high as a kite and I will play that scenario and many variations over and over in my head to get all the drug I can get out of it, to squeeze every drop of dopamine that I can get from my head and then move on to the next, um, the next fantasy. That's what an unnatural or that's what a lustful encounter would be with me seeing somebody that I'm attracted to. And so that's how lust operates in me. And so when does a thought and a feeling become lustful? A natural thought that might flow 
from my mind and keep flowing past to having an emotional reaction to that thought. How many thoughts do I have and have emotional reactions that continue to pass on by? The moment that I have that thought, that emotional reaction, which is a desire for that thought to linger, also I get a foretaste of that thought. So for example, sometimes if I have a thought of a painful experience, I can actually start to feel some of that pain. Or my favorite food, if I think of my favorite food, I can almost taste a little bit of that that food. Well, I can also have that with the lust thought. I, I can have a thought, you know, we call it recall, euphoric recall. I can t- get a little taste of what that pleasure might feel like. And I can have that very quickly. I'm pretty powerless over that. But I have a thought. I might have a, a foretaste or feeling of that experience really quickly. And I may even have a desire of, of wanting to experience that for the first time or experience that again. But whatever it is, If it doesn't pass on by or I don't let it pass on by and I demand to hold on to that thought, to let that thought ruminate and to develop itself and to continue to get high and then to start thinking about how I might live that out, all of that is lust and I've been taken out of reality. I am now not operating mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Now, physically, again, I may be doing that, which is what everybody else is doing around me, but I'm really not at one with the present situation. And so what do I, what do I do with that? You know, um, you know, and what has been shared and passed down uh, through many people uh, is that surrender. Is what we do. We surrender the less thought, uh, the desire, that demanding attitude, the thought or the desire or even the feeling that may come. Why do we do that? Well, because there's absolutely no way I can stop it. I can't. I've tried. And the the amazing thing about it is that it works. And and this is why I'm so powerless. And is that you see, I'm I'm a thinking. I'm a feeling, I'm a believing, I'm a deciding, and I'm a doing person. I'm also a being person. And all those components is my human experience. And when I have a thought to lust after somebody, or, or I, I realize I'm attracted to somebody, whatever that first thought is, what starts, my whole being starts to become absorbed in that thought really quickly because I've been trained to do that. So I have a thought, I have a feeling towards it, I have an attitude towards it, I start having a foretaste, a feeling towards that, and then I make a decision to hold that thought and to let it ruminate and build inside me. And then I am a doing person, I act out in that. And then as a being person, I have to sit and be in the consequences of that guilt and shame. And that's why I need a higher power. Because the moment that I surrender that thought, surrender that attitude, I surrender that feeling to a power greater than myself, I start turning my mind from the lust to a power greater than myself. My emotion becomes that of begging God, asking God, an attitude of instead of desire to lust to a desire to be 
liberated from that thought, a decision to turn away from that last thought and to God and to ask God to remove it. And now my whole being, the thinking, the feeling, the believing, the deciding and the doing person is now starting to be absorbed in a higher power. And it disconnects me from the last thought. And it's removed. And it's not removed by my my power because I have no power of myself. Uh, but my my God and my higher power does that. And so that's why this program is really about surrendering. Surrendering everything over to um, our higher power. And so even the 12 steps do that for us in our lives. Really, it's about turning everything over uh, to a power that absolutely loves us and cares about us. And... Um, has the best intentions for us and knows what they're doing. And I, one thing I know is I, I sure as heck don't know what I'm doing, but my God knows what I'm doing. And so when I turn everything over to my higher power, I'm liberated from lust. And now I'm reunited back into reality and into the present moment. The thing that was hard for me to understand is that this disconnecting from the present moment, the more sober I got, the more I realized that just about every moment of my life was focused on not being in the present moment. It was focused on being somewhere in my head. And I had no ability to function, to interact in the present moment. And why is that? And I learned that the way it works in, in, a, in a healthy way or in a way that builds up the individual is that situations happen in my life that are challenging and that can be very painful. And as I look and face that pain with, with help and support and education, you know, education on learning, how do I face these challenges in relating to people in life and interacting and making decisions and to do that in a way that's constructive uh, both for myself and the person I'm interacting with um, I didn't learn how to do that and I came across very intense situations where I had no guidance I had no instruction and so the quickest way out of that pain instead of going through the pain and coming out the other side uh, a, a wiser person or a stronger person is uh, somebody that needed to escape pain that seemed to be never ending. And that's what lust did for me. I learned to escape something that I could not face. And that was pain. And I became very adept to avoiding pain at all costs. So any slight feeling of pain and pain is there for me to tell me something's wrong. You know, if something's wrong, I look at it uh, something's going wrong in my my home. Uh, something's not working properly. I have to take a look at it, assess the the problem, and and come up with a a number of possibilities of ways of addressing it and trying the best one, and then going from there. And hopefully that situation is resolved, and then I can continue about uh, my daily life. And that's how pain is is addressed in life. However, that's not the way I I deal with pain. Um, because I don't have that process to deal with pain. And so I have been trained and wired to leave, 
to escape inside my head. And so the solution now is to surrender what lust has been doing for me my whole life and to start looking at life and facing life with this program, with the help and the support of the fellowship and how the steps reorient me to life, to my higher power and to be able to face uh, the joys and the sorrows of life, to go through them and to be relational, you know, and to have relationships and to connect uh, with people and to be a part of this human experience. And that's what the program does for me. But before I can do that, I have to disconnect, if you will, to withdraw um, from years and years of habits of escaping. And so that's what surrender does. As I realize that I have to give up so much acting in, more so than the acting out. Now, I stop acting out first. And uh, that's that's very important. I, I notice that I tend to work backwards in my recovery um, from the most visible signs of, of things that I do that I can see that I'm physically doing, but then start working inward into internal thoughts, feelings, attitudes towards life and situations, and then into the deeper uh, realm of fear and uh, things like that. And again, building up that connection, relationship, and trust uh, in a higher power with support of the fellowship to face life and challenges. So I'm going to have to uh, give it all up. I'm going to have to say goodbye to my best friend, you know, and that's Lust. Lust was my, my best friend, my partner, my roommate, my schoolmate, my spouse. And it did a lot for me. And I have to start saying goodbye more and more. And that's going to be a decision that only I can make. And I'm going to start seeing areas where I, I didn't have a problem with lust. I, I, there's a lot of areas that I had a problem with lust by the time I came to SA, but there were still, we call them hidden bottles, you know? Uh, but uh, once we find those bottles, each time I'm going to have to make a decision. And hopefully I make the one that's um, going to lead me to life and that's that decision to say goodbye and to turn away and to surrender um, that bottle as well, because I can't have any of it. it, it there is no uh, homeostasis, if you will, a, a stabilizing for me. Um, I've, it's all got to go. So that's one of the important aspects as I start to uncover more and more of the hidden lust in me is that I'm going to have to make those decisions to let it all go. And I cannot get caught up in the idea that I can keep some of it for myself. Okay, so what is my my goal here, and, and what am I working towards? What is what is this about? If if I need to be in the present moment and I need to face life and circumstances, wh- why am I here, and what am I really going for here? I really thought I just had a problem I was just trying to solve. Well, you know the the big book and the white book describe it a little differently. I think they both mean the same thing, and uh, the. Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says uh, our primary purpose is to be of ma- or to be fit to be of maximum service to God and others, and this is very true. That's my purpose, and of course, I can't do that if my demanding attitude of lust is demanding to use and to abuse, to to lie and to manipulate others for my own selfish ends. Those two uh, purposes are at war with each other, and so now. 
my purpose is to be of maximum service or to be fit to be of maximum service to God and others. And the white book talks about it is that I, I was made for connection, you know, the real connection. I was made to have relationship with a higher power. Not only that, but I have a God hunger. I have a need that has to be met. And I explained it earlier, like uh, like food, water, clothing, shelter. I need to be spiritually nourished off of a loving and mutual relationship with a higher power. And with that relationship, I have relationship with the people in my life and those in the world uh, around me. And so through being fit of being maximum service to others, I begin to enter into a relationship where I'm not less than others, which is um, often the experience of some addicts. Um, I'm definitely one of them who experienced um, quite often uh, during my childhood being less than. And so lust was the great, uh, not equalizer, because it made me greater than. It made me have a false sense of power over others. Uh, on the contrary, to be godlike, if you will. Uh, at least the appearance of that, to compensate for that uh, feeling of less than and emptiness and that God hunger uh, with a false, uh, a false God, if you will. And so that's what, you know, as I said, surrender is going to be key because my, my goal, my purpose is a total dependence upon God, a total surrendering of life and dependence upon God so that I can live out that purpose of relationship with God and others through being uh, of maximum service to God and others. And so that's what coming into the fellowship, seeing that that new life radiate to others, start to go through that process of surrendering, not just moment by moment, any lust thought or feeling attitude that comes into me or that I partake in to surrender it unto God, who will take it away every time it comes in, but also to surrender my whole life through the 12 steps with the total support and acceptance of this wonderful fellowship we call Sexaholics Anonymous. And as I start to turn my life over to God, my my thinking, my believing, uh, that would be in step two, my decision of who's running my life, not this addiction, and definitely not me, but higher powers running the show in steps three, by an inventory of all the defects that negate relationship, that separate me from God and others, resentments, fears, sex harms, or harms uh, to others to turn those over to, to my higher power and steps six through seven, and to ask God to remove them and to begin to amend my life in step nine, and then to begin to live out that new life of being of maximum service to God and others, or the positive sobriety, which is acts of love towards others, right? And so that's what this new life of steps 10, 11, and 12 is about. And that's very important because that's where my life is going to be centered in. You know, getting getting kind of realigned with God is going to be one through nine. And I'm going to continue to work steps one through nine. But on a daily basis, that's 10, 11, and 12. 
which is a continuing relationship with God and inventory in steps 10 and 11. And step 12 is carrying the message of hope and recovery that was carried to me, carrying it to others, but also being of service through our uh, communities, through our home group, uh, through the uh, local communities and through our international communities because I am called to every single one of those relationships. When I was in my disease, I was in a negative relationship with individuals, with f- my family, with my community, and even though I wasn't aware of it, with those in the world around me. And I was constantly in a state of negating those relationships God was calling me to. And so in recovery, by constantly living steps 10, 11, and 12 in SA, this is not a temporary one-time fix. This is a way of life. My disease is not a problem that can be fixed one time. It is a way of life that has to be replaced by a whole new way of life. And that way of life is lived out on a daily basis, one day at a time for the rest of my life. And that's what this beautiful program has done for me and for countless others. Some of the beautiful experiences that happens as a result of turning our lives over to God and in total surrender and dependence upon God is that I begin to see people as human beings and not objects or threats. I begin to experience joy and freedom and relating to people. And one of the most beautiful discoveries is that I saw men who I could not speak to as precious human beings that greatly, um, gave depth and and meaning and understanding to my own life. And many a time I'd been in a spiritual crisis uh, when the gentleman in good recovery helped me through those. And, And that brings me to another point is that in recovery and as I continue to grow, I start to face life's challenges with situations, but also with personalities. And I begin to see my own defects of character. And instead of being in those disconnecting negative attitudes that negate relationship, I start improving and enriching my own ability to interact with people, challenging people, difficult situations, easy situations, so that it's a building up of myself and the other person. It's not always easy. It's not always fun, but I'm facing life and in the will of God, seeking God's will in every moment of my life so that God's will is accomplished so that I can look at these trials and challenges that I've gone through, not numbing out, not escaping, but facing it with the tools that have been laid at my feet, these 12 steps with the support of the fellowship. And what was accomplished was the will of God. Everything is turned into victory. I don't look at the the pain and suffering of my past and see failure. I see something that has been turned into a life-giving situation. And that's just some of the experiences um, that I've had and the promises um, that are received um, in recovery. And so what we've discussed here today 
that gives an overview of what do I need to get set up. I need meetings. I need the literature. I need a sponsor and I need to work these steps. And as I do this, learning more about what my disease really is and how I surrender it and how the steps are going to allow me to surrender my life unto God and to live out on a regular basis that life with God in steps 10, 11, and 12. I am more equipped going into this program with not only what I need, but the work I'm going to be doing and the goal that I'm aiming for. It's almost like a map in the beginning of the journey, giving someone a map. It was what was given to me and it was so helpful and I'm so grateful uh, for those who who gave me uh, that roadmap, if you will, in the very beginning. Let's leave with a vision for you from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We will be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.